The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. This is Squawkbox. Thanks for tuning in. Here are your headlines. China's August retail sales missed the mark, growing at 2.5%, nearly a third of the expected level as the country deals with its worst COVID outbreak in over 18 months. US price pressures appear to ease as CPI jumps less than expected in August, but still hovers near 13-year highs. In an exclusive interview, the Amazon CEO Andy Jassy tells CNBC minimum wages should be higher. The average hourly salary is $18.32, which is more than double the federal minimum wage. It's also more, John, than 40 million American workers make. And so we, we need to raise the federal minimum wage. I hope the government works on that. Apple unveils its latest range of iPhones as the world's most valuable company seeks to move past privacy and antitrust concerns. And Macau stocks lose big on the first day of a public gaming consultation, expected to result in tighter restrictions in the gaming enclave. Well, just picking up off the back of Karen's last headline there, who would have gambled on the regulators in China now going after the gaming industry? And on that basis, who would have laid bets that the Chinese data would miss their mark by such a significant degree? China's rebound from the pandemic uh, apparently showing signs of cooling then with both manufacturing and consumption growth hitting the brakes in August. Industrial production rose 5.3% year-on-year, undershooting expectations and slowing down from July. But it was really this number that I think was the biggest disappointment for a lot of investors. Retail sales really showing a significant deceleration, increasing ultimately only 2.5% compared to analysts' forecasts for a 7% jump. Now, that indicates perhaps the weakest pace since August of last year. Uh, Sam joins us uh, with more on the story. And Sam, I guess the question really is why? Why is this data slowing down so quickly? Good morning to you, Jeff. Yeah, very good question. Of course, we did see uh, tighter restrictions as a result of that spike in cases that started in late July. So August was always going to tell a lot better story in terms of the economic slowdown in China as a result of that. But as you rightly pointed out, a few worrying trends coming out of this data today. One is consumption and I would say the other is unemployment because, as you pointed out, a disappointing 2.5% year-on-year growth for those retail sales, a big miss from that to 7% that the market was punching for and a sharp drop from that eight and a half percent we saw in July. As I say, this did come as we saw a spike in cases which did take a hit to consumption. Authorities have also said uh, that this was largely down to flooding, some bad weather in the month of August as well. And that was largely consistent with the PMI numbers that we also got in August, which did show a sharp contraction in services sector activity, actually the worst and the slowest since we've seen since April last year when we saw that first wave. And that comes as we know the service 
services sector is far more vulnerable uh, to these sorts of lockdowns and social distancing measures uh, than the manufacturing side of things. It's not good for things like shops, bars and restaurants. But as I say, uh, unemployment actually came in flat at 5.1 percent, the same as July. But the worrying trend here is the 16 to 24 year olds. Again, that rate coming in at 15.3 percent, double digits uh, again, which does signal that it is a lot harder for those young ones uh, to get jobs, particularly as China is pumping some nine million university graduates out of the system uh, this year. We do know that this is a big focus for the government moving forward. They are trying to create jobs. They're at at 85 percent of their target of 11 million jobs so far. But they did acknowledge today the official commentary uh, saying that pressure still exists when it comes to employment. Now, you also touched on manufacturing, of course, industrial output coming in at 5.3 percent. That was actually the uh, slowest since we've seen since July last year. So we do know the industrial sector has remained pretty resilient in the face of this pandemic. We saw that in the export numbers for the month of August. But still, these manufacturers in China have been facing a number of headwinds. They've seen these high commodity prices. They've seen this uh, global chip crunch which has been weighing on the auto sector and also these supply chain bottlenecks. Efforts to curb pollution have also been weighing on things as well. Now, fixed asset investment, that came in at 8.9%, just a smidge lower than the 9% that the market was punching for for the eight months of the year. Uh, But that was lower than the 10.3% we saw in the first seven months. Now, we also got new home price data, which did show the slowest growth in eight months. Uh, That came in at 4.2% year on year. We do know this comes as the government has been really trying to cool the red hot property in market like market, trying to tighten financing and shake those speculators out of the tree. So obviously those moves bearing fruit now. Guys, back to you. Asan, I want to pick up on some of the points you just mentioned and just cast forward to the future because some of the efforts around pollution, as you mentioned there in the property market, are government measures that have had an impact on economic growth. But since then, I mean, there's been so many different industries that uh, Beijing has picked uh, a fight with and effectively technology is one of them, video gaming is another, excess wealth that may have an impact on some big consumption plays, electric vehicles, whether there's too much competition in that market and the need to consolidate commodities and of course uh, what we've seen with online payments as well. To what extent later on this year will we see a cooling in some of these sectors that contributes to slower GDP down the track? Because, you know, one of the big stories we know, business like certainty and they're not getting much certainty from Beijing at this point. Absolutely. That's a great question, Karen. And I mean, uh, certainly the regulatory environment has been clouding the uh, outlook as well on top of this uh, spike in cases that we have seen, which is a very fluid situation. And that is uh, showing in the data that we've seen. Uh, We have been putting this question uh, certainly to uh, economists that we've been speaking to, you know, is this a one off? Uh, But they have said that no, uh, that really this is confirmation that we are seeing a slowdown in the Chinese economy. And certainly uh, that's softening is intensifying, uh, A, because of the, you know, uh, path of the virus, uh, but also because of the tight credit conditions in China uh, as well, which is uh, expected uh, to weigh on things uh, largely too. And that, you know, sort of brings you to uh, the big question, which is uh, what will be uh, the policy response now? Uh, Certainly a lot of this softening data has uh, left a lot of investors or been fueling hopes at least of uh, more policy support uh, by the Chinese government and the 
TBOC in terms of the monetary side of things to complement their recent uh, dovish tilt, as you will. And uh, if you look at the markets today, for instance, we have actually seen the Shanghai Composite, the Shenzhen Composite jumping back into positive territory, uh, perhaps uh, on those hopes. But, uh, uh, you know, authorities are very mindful of not opening the floodgates. Uh, they have said that they will take a very flexible and targeted targeted approach uh, to easing in the second half of the year. Some economists are expecting perhaps another triple R cut, as I said, to complement that recent dovish tilt. And they uh, perhaps uh, hope that that may propel the economy towards that at least 6% growth target uh, that the government uh, was certainly punching for. Guys, back to you. Sam, thank you very much. Appreciate the coverage. While well, talking at the annual SALT conference in New York earlier this week, ARK Invest CEO Kathy Wood said she doesn't expect China to relax its crackdown on the tech sector anytime soon. Did in the series of moves recently around China, we have taken our position right. down significantly, but stayed with a few of what the, would it take the low for margin you to turn? Uh, to invest need, more. They, what would you need to see? What would I need to see? Uh, I, I think it would be Xi Jinping uh, saying, you know, whoops, we made a mistake, we're open for business. I don't think he'll do that. Uh, so I don't think we'll be hugely involved with China. Kathy, would there? The uh, inflation data was fascinating, wasn't it? U.S. prices rose less than expected in August. The consumer price index increased 5.3% from a year earlier and 0.3% from July. So there was something in here for both sides of the argument around whether inflation is transitory. If you strip out food and energy, CPI was up just 0.1% on the month. Price growth is still near 13-year highs, although the numbers appear to indicate that that pace may be abating. But we will wait and we will watch. But the markets, Karen, just seem to read it the way the Fed did. Yeah, that headline number is still quite high, even though we're making progress on a month-on-month basis. Uh, Areas that have been particularly hot, of course, uh, airlines and the second-hand car market, some slight cooling there. But effectively, what we had back to the selling for markets, so we had a little bit of relief as we started at the Monday, but uh, that has now reverted back to red ink. And you could see uh, across on the Dow, we shed eight-tenths of a percent plus. That was the biggest fall that we witnessed on the market, so reversal taking place there. The sixth negative day in seven and the worst day since the 18th of August. Uh, So far for the S&P also retreating and the Nasdaq closing down as well. But it was across other indices too where you saw a fall. Dow Jones transports, for instance, down 1.1 percent. 11 out of 11 sectors traded negative. So you could see it was a bearish tone across the board. Energy this time uh, leading the declines down 1.5 percent. Energy has been a supportive factor uh, earlier in the week for the markets on those changed OPEC forecasts and of course a tropical storm. So it's a little bit of a give back of some of the recent gains we've witnessed as well. Uh, Elsewhere, let's just take you to the Treasury market. It was an interesting piece of data for a lot of investors, particularly for the bond markets. And what we saw trading right down on that yield, we came back to the 1.25% level. And you can see we popped a little bit firmer morning session, up a couple of basis points. But it was a very dovish tilt for some of the bond markets. Uh, what we've got elsewhere, let's take a look at the dollar as a result of that slight weakening in the yield. Uh, we had a little bit of early appetite coming back into the mix for the greenback. But uh, you can see this morning it is on the back foot uh, across the board. Sterling has gained. Euro. Has 
has improved to 118.06 and uh, dollar weakening versus the Japanese yen. It's only uh, holding up against the Chinese currency. Uh, U.S. banks, uh, let's take a look at the uh, mix of uh, performances across the board. It was Wells Fargo that popped uh, six tenths higher. But other major plays as we talk about uh, yield curve and uh, the expansion of profit margins, clearly this rate on inflation positive for the sector. And as a result, the pullback, 2.2% of Bank of America, Morgan Stanley in a similar range and Citigroup among those shedding the most territory. Asian markets. Uh, there's been a lot going on. We mentioned all of the Chinese data that's been a miss today and uh, investors across the region are digesting that. Not to mention uh, the huge focus too on the crackdown on uh, gaming and gambling in Macau. So the Chinese market uh, trading up though by about a third of a percent. In contrast, you've got red from Australia, Hong Kong down heavily again with uh, more regulatory changes to navigate. 280 odd points down, but it was those big gaming stocks that have been hit hard today. Japanese stocks also just pulling back from a 31-year high. And don't forget that it's been marching north in contrast to a lot of the markets over the past several days on hopes of this fiscal spending that may be coming. But uh, it is a cooling off day even for the Japanese markets today, Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much indeed, Karen. Let's bring in uh, Marcus Moore then, Assistant Portfolio Manager uh, at Zio Capital Advisors. Marcus, good morning to you. Um, The market largely saw this then as supporting the Fed's view of transitory inflation. But the headline numbers still look quite aggressive at this stage. Um, Can I ask you, what is the right action for an investor to take at this point on the basis of this data? May I thank to some extent, you have to listen to the Fed. The Fed has been very clear about inflation being transitory. Um, the data today suggests that they have at least you know, a notch under their belt in the sense that it does look that, at least for the month of August, that there was uh, a decline in the rate, as, you know, as Jay Powell said, right? That's his, his definition of transitory is not necessarily going back to where we were, but just a decline in the rate of inflation. And so we got that in the month of August. And so my guess is that I think it's a really good idea to just listen to the Fed. They've said that they're going to let and they're comfortable letting inflation run over their 2% target over a period of time. Um, and then the, within the dual mandate of full employment, Jay Powell has spoken extensively on the importance of employment rates for minority Americans. And so I think until you start to see that move, and again, I mean, just for data sake, um, black unemployment right now is 8.8%. Hispanic unemployment is 6.4%. The overall unemployment rate in the U.S. is 5.2%. So there's a lot of room to, or you know, there's a, a lot of catching up to do for those minorities to get you know closer to where the overall U.S. rate is. And so my guess is that the Fed will continue to be on the sidelines. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of talk around tapering, but I mean, again, today I think the the data suggests or gives the Fed you know another the an increased ability to say, look, we're tapering, but that is decoupled or very different from liftoff, which will likely come at some point, 22, maybe even to uh, 2023. It's fascinating, isn't it? So the expectations are, I think, in some quarters that, as you say, the tapering discussion may now get pushed into the early part of uh, 2022. On that basis, then, how relevant is it really for investors at this stage? I mean, is tapering still a live argument for whether you buy or sell the S&P? I mean, I think um, as you think about investing, um, there you have to, the risk, I guess, as we think about it here, Zio, is really to 
an upside surprise, right? In terms of higher interest rates going forward. Um, the Fed, again, has mentioned that they will likely be on the sidelines for a period of time. But how long will that last? How long can Jay Powell keep the Fed governors in check in terms of you're going to look at inflation data that's going to be running hot over 2% for a period of time. And then, you know, there's currently a slowdown in economic activity, um, largely related to kind of the Delta variant and a slowing of consumer activity. But if we get past that later in the fourth quarter, you know, we're going to see a pretty strong fourth quarter, pretty strong economic growth in the 2022 with inflation above the Fed's target. I think people are going to start assuming that rates are going to go up regardless of what Jay Powell says. And I think that's going to be a period in time in which you see much higher levels of volatility than we're seeing currently. Marcus, can I ask you about inflation expectations versus what we're seeing now? Because uh, effectively, this uh, New York Fed survey has shown that consumers are bracing for higher inflation to continue. And we know from an economist perspective, when they see those embedded expectations, that's when they start to worry. But do you take that into consideration this time? Because it does feel as though people are seeing high prices in front of them. Therefore, they think prices are going up. As soon as those prices flip back, they may change their assessment on those expectations. That's true. Um, I think one of the things that I found interesting was the census data that was released in the U.S. today around um, a reduction in poverty levels in the United States across all demographics. And so that suggests that even though the consumer is concerned about pricing and at higher prices, they're able to withstand that, um, given that there's a little bit more income, especially related to you know very aggressive U.S. stimulus um, spending, fiscal uh, from a fiscal standpoint, and then obviously a very easy monetary policy. So I think, and then again, as consumers, I mean, many companies we speak to are echoing the sentiments of, yes, there is higher inflation, there are supply chain challenges, but we're still seeing very robust demand. And the assumption I have, at least right now, for the near term is that the consumer is in very good shape. And so they'll be able to kind of absorb higher prices. The question is for how much longer? Are you concerned at all by some of the volatility we're witnessing out there on equity markets? I mean, there's more and more concerns that we might be ripe for a correction and what that could mean across asset classes. Is that something worrying you at this stage? Um, yes. I mean, I think we've, se- we've seen limited volatility throughout this year. Um, and then you got to a point, you know, towards the end of August where you saw a spike in volatility, but then the market kind of snapped right back. And then I guess, you know, so far in the month of September, again, we're starting to see a little bit more volatility. Um, I think that is likely what we're going to continue to see throughout the rest of this year, or at least the level of heightened volatility, just given the fact that we're there to your point. um, I think you mentioned earlier, right? This uh, inflation data gave kind of both sides, you know, kind of a, a point to make, right? Like inflation is still relatively high at 5.3% annualized, but the rate is declining. And so we're going to kind of see throughout the rest of this year, kind of both sides of that uh, kind of argument kind of play itself out. And then, you know, like a proverbial tug of war. And I think that will kind of roll the markets to some extent. I'm not calling for any major pullback, but I do think volatility is in order. Marcus, good to talk this morning. Thanks for joining us. Marcus Moore, Assistant Portfolio Manager of Zio Capital Advisors. Uh, we've got um, a speech from VDL coming up a little bit later. It's her last State of the Union address. European Commission President 
Uh, Ursula von der Leyen speaks about her mission to have a climate neutral continent by 2050. We'll break down what to expect from her speech later today. And don't forget, if you ever miss our show or just want to hear it all over again, you can always listen to some of our key segments on the Squawk podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. California's Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom has survived a recall effort and will remain in his role. The recall was only the second in the state's history, coming after many accused Newsom of having mishandled California's pandemic response. President Joe Biden rallied on the side of Newsom, arguing the results of the vote would be felt nationally on issues such as climate change, as California is the most populous state in the US and the world's fifth largest economy. Around this one. Uh, because of a, a key restaurant in the United States. Could they hear you? The French Laundry. Do you want to say that again? I, yeah, I was just going to say that uh, one of the uh, big moments here around this uh, nuisance story was yeah. a, a dinner at the French Laundry. Right. A restaurant, I must say, I've always wanted to attend, mm. but uh, not necessarily during lockdown when everybody else is at home and advised not to attend gatherings. But he was uh, seen there at Hobdonbeek, apparently, with other lobbyists uh, that, uh, and uh, high-profile people, very yeah. expensive dinner, and without a mask on. And this was uh, one of the catalysts for some momentum to remove him. Uh, we've had a lot of politicians behaving badly, haven't we, mm -hmm. uh, throughout this on both sides of the Atlantic. And this attitude that the rules that we make don't apply to us has got to stop, right. quite frankly. But on this occasion, it seems that the Republicans just don't have the votes to make this stick. And the symbolism, one of the most expensive restaurants in the country. I mean, that's effectively what it was. Yeah. A very exclusive place to go and dine that is only for the uber rich. And I think we've all seen right through this crisis, there's a real feeling uh, one rule for those who can afford it and one rule for those who can't. Yeah. And that was, I think, as we rewind back to 2020, one of the concerns. So two errors of judgment. Uh, one don't do what you're not supposed to do and don't do it in a very high profile public <laughs> exactly. place where inevitably someone's going to see you doing it. Yeah, a local bistro maybe uh, might be a better choice. Well, elsewhere, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen will issue her annual State of the Union later this morning. The speech is expected to focus on the bloc's vaccination campaign, progress on its bid to become the first climate neutral continent and the disbursement of its record 750 billion euro recovery fund. Uh, let's get to Sylvia for more. Sylvia, it's a very long agenda as we talk about COVID recovery. Just run us through the highlights we're expected to hear this morning. 
So this speech is important, Karen, because it essentially opens the political year in Brussels. And in that context, usually the president of the commission divides the speech into two parts. First, there's an assessment of what has been going on over the last year. And then the president sets the, the priorities for the next 12 months. And so this is why we're expecting that von der Leyen will focus quite heavily this morning on the pandemic and in particular on how well the EU has actually done. Because we all remember the criticism that the Commission received because of a slow vaccination rollout. But in fact, the inoculation rate at this moment is above 70% and is actually better than in other places, including the United States. So she is expected to mention that as well as uh, how the Commission has been raising money on behalf of the 27 to support the economic recovery. And then in the second phase of this speech, she is uh, indeed expected to say what she plans to do over the coming months. And this is where she is expected to focus quite heavily on climate policy. We know that uh, the Commission presented the Fit for 55 plan not too long ago. So that is the set of measures that the Commission wants the 27 to put together to essentially reduce greenhouse gas emissions by at least 55 percent by 2030. Uh, but that has yet to be approved by the European Parliament. So she is likely to ask the European lawmakers this morning to approve this package as soon as possible. And we know how climate policy has gaining more and more attention, not just because we are approaching COP26, but also because Europe is seeing a natural gas shortage and energy prices are going up. And in fact, Franz Timmermans did reference that at a speech at the European Parliament on Tuesday. So let's take a look. Only about one-fifth of the price increase can be attributed to uh, CO2 um, uh, prices uh, rising. The others are simply a consequence of shortage in the market. And the irony is, had we had the, the, the Green Deal five years earlier, we would not be in this position because then we would have less dependency on fossil fuels and on natural gas. We have seen along this energy price crisis, along the way, we have seen that the prices for renewables have stayed low and stable. So instead of being paralyzed or slowing things down because of the price hike now in the energy sector, we should speed things up in the transition to renewable energy so that affordable renewable energy becomes, becomes available for everyone. That is, I think, the lesson we should draw from the present uh, situation. So Franz Timmermans there, the head of climate policy at the EU, essentially highlighting why it's so important for the European Parliament to approve this climate package as soon as possible. And we're likely to see the same level of urgency from Ursula von der Leyen when she addresses the Parliament in about two hours' time. Thank you very much for the update, Sylvia. Coming up on the show, Apple unveils its new product lineup as the iPhone enters its teens. We'll bring you the highlights from Apple's latest event. Sorry, that just made me giggle. Entered its teens. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.